This is very nervous. Uh, I'm used to teaching in a classroom, in a circle, so, and I'm also used to teaching kids. So they talk about how to, you know, look at your audience, and I think I'm going to look at you from first to fifth graders. <laughs> so that, that might help. So um, let, me, let me just read in your hearing. Oh, by the way, um, I am the elder on, on session that is the least uh, computer knowledge, so there will be no... Um, What's it called? Yes, that on the board. So it's just me. So uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Matthew 6, and I'll be reading from verses 5 through verses 10. So in your hearing, let me read. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, They have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, and dear God, um, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just first speak through me. Father, I am just a man, I am just frail, and I am without anything that is good. And the only thing that is any good is what you give us. So, Father, I look to you today that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct, that he would open up our eyes and open up our ears and give me the words to say, Father. Uh, Father, you know my heart and what I want to say, but, dear God, again, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we just give this time to you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Um, I want to start out by... And I read the first uh, verses because so often we don't look at that um, first verses 5 through 8. And, and I really liked how when Christ is teaching us how to pray, he gives us a couple examples of what not to do. We are not to pray as the hypocrites do, who stand on the street corners and give these loud verses and loud words and long words and... I remember going to church. I've been at church all my life. And I remember going to uh, churches and hearing people pray and not understanding the words. Like, why do you say, say automobile when you could say car? You know, and it was almost like they said it just to show how educated and important they were. And God, uh, Jesus said, don't pray like that. I, and I almost get, pray simply. Pray simple words that you and God understand. And then the other one he says, don't pray in vain repetition. And the word vain there is empty. And, and sometimes we have the habit of just praying over and over empty things to God, thinking that he will hear us. And we don't need to. But what he does say is this, and I've got a couple word pictures as, as I think of what it means to pray, this is what I think of. That I'm sitting here, and God is sitting there. 
And it's a conversation between me and God. Uh, this week I had a chance to uh, meet with Roy, kind of just going over the, the, service, the sermons. And at the end of it, I, I was explaining to us, this is what I want. Because as Roy and I sat there and just conversed back and forth, there was more of a connection. We could be honest. And, and I want people to understand that when you go before God, this is how it is. It's a conversation because God knows everything about you. In verse 8, he says, we go to him with our needs, but he already knows him. So when we go to God, just remember that he knows every single thing about your life. He knows the hurts. He knows the sorrows. He knows the times when you tried your best and your hardest to do something, and it failed. And he knows how you felt. He knows losses, he knows just heartaches, he knows rejection, he knows all those things, and he's sitting right there, just longing to hear you come before him. But the other thing about him is he knows every joy, every great and just wonderful thing. He knows when people have blessed you and when you've blessed them, and he wants to hear all of those, and he wants to hear you say, thank you, Lord, for the little things in your life. This morning, before we came here, uh, my wife and I got a chance to FaceTime with my granddaughter in Chicago, who we're going to see. And to see her face go when you say from granddad, good morning, Maddie, and she smiles. God loves that. And to be able just to say to him, God, thank you for that little blessing. But... Again, when we pray to God, it also says about going in secret. Um, at our house growing up, when you have three kids and an 1,100-square-foot house, you don't have that secret place. In our house, that secret place was the bathroom with the door locked. And a lot of times, it's knocking, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, I'm not done, you know, and it's like, I need to get done. So it's not necessarily you have to go into a closet, but if you can, get alone with God, because, again, this is what he wants for us. So, the Lord's Prayer. Um, I want to look at this from two, two points. I want to look at this first from the big picture, that your kingdom come, your will be done from the big picture. So first... When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying for the glorious day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's from Revelation 19, 16. And when you think about that day, you know, we used to sing in, in uh, churches a lot of songs about, you know, what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. You know, we've, I think we've forgotten that. You know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all get to heaven, we'll see Jesus Christ like we've never seen him before. That's what heaven is going to be like. That's what God's kingdom finally coming will be like. When God's kingdom come, Satan will be defeated. And we will not be tempted. We will not be, go through the trials and just the things that he wants to do with us. That will be no more. When we get to heaven, sickness 
will be gone when God's kingdom comes. There will be no sickness. And I've never appreciated that more until I get older. And you realize that as you turn 40, 45, and 50, the aches and pains that you have to deal with. And some of them are long. Brother Amel, when, when God's kingdom comes, you will be out of that chair. You know, that is a great thing. Um, when, when we all get to heaven, every tear will be gone. Everyone, every just heartache for your kids, every longing, every sad thing will be gone because we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and we will be praying to him. Uh, Daniel 2.44 In the day, days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those, these kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. And then 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is really almost undescribable because we do not have words to describe the greatness, the glory, the beautiful time. I'm looking forward to the feast because I love to eat. And I'm looking forward to where I can eat whatever I want and I don't have to worry anymore about eating sugar, eating fat, or getting fat. I just want to enjoy that. I'm a simple guy. So that's kind of God's kingdom from a big picture. It's something that will come at one time. The next one is thy will be done. God's will is a great thing. And in, in, in the last 15, 20 years, I've really focused and, and been really studying about the sovereign will of God and God's sovereignty in everything. And I'm just amazed at how God's will is played out in this world. And it started out right from the be- very beginning. And, and uh, my wife and I are reading through the Bible, and we've already gone through the whole part where God sovereignly, his sovereign will, led his people from one place where Abraham was into Egypt. And how God kept them alive through Egypt, but... After they stayed there for so long, the brutality of the Pharaoh was just immense. And then God's sovereign will led them out of Egypt. And that was his will. His will that led them through the, the Red Sea. And it parted and they, dry, they walked on dry land. And then God's sovereign will that showed when Egypt came through that Red Sea, God caused the waters to come back. And they really experienced God's will in destroying Egypt for their sake. And seeing that is just, um, just awesome. But God's will also took a shepherd boy and made him king of Israel. And David was the best king that Israel ever had, pretty much. God's will also had his son come as a baby and was born of a virgin. And God's sovereign will had him dying on a cross for our sins. And then three days later, his sovereign will raised him from the dead. And now he sits 
at the right hand of God the Father. Those are all God's will, God's sovereign will for us. And, and pretty much for this world. God's sovereign will is that we all be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's God's sovereign will. So what I want to talk about, though, next, is because what I really saw in this is how do I make this personal to me? So I'm going to talk about God's kingdom come in my life and yours and what that means. Because as you look in this verse, it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will and his kingdom reigns there, but not so much here. So the first thing I want to talk about is what it means for God's will to to come to our lives. And what do I mean by this? Is uh, Let me read uh, Acts 16.31. And this is the story about the, the jailer. And uh, so they said to the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And this verse has meant a lot to me after salvation, but I knew it before. So my, I want to give you a little bit about my testimony. My testimony was that I was born into a Christian family. My dad was a pastor for a while. There were five kids. My sister died when she was eight from leukemia, and I was about five. I was raised in the church from that, from being born till probably 17 and a half when I finally left home. And during that time, just like most Christian kids, we went to Sunday school, we went to church, we went to Wednesday night. Uh, Awanas and and had all these things and I learned all of these different things about who Jesus was in the Bible and you know being a kid from church I knew the stories you know I I knew more about church than probably most pastors because we were just you know sunk in it everything about it was that but what was interesting is that I learned how to be a Christian I learned what to say, how to act. I knew the answers to questions. I believe that Jesus uh, was born of a virgin, died on the cross for my sins, was raised and was at heaven. But when I was 25 years old, we, I, had a, uh, I had something happen in my life. I worked for my uncle uh, as an electrician and his daughter, Julie, who was younger than me, she was 21, but we were very close, we were a very close family because I worked with my uncle and I saw her. She killed herself. And God had been working in my wife and I, in my life, for a while. But when when I was at the funeral, I was sitting at the funeral, looking at the coffin... And God started talking to me. And it was one of these conversations. And even though I believed all of those things that I just said, there was something missing. Because in that verse it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And what I did, what I was doing in my life, I believed in Jesus. I even believed in his Christ. But what wasn't there 
was his being Lord of my life. And I knew that was the thing keeping me out of heaven. And as I sat there and looked at Julie's coffin, and I remember saying, if I die today, I will be in hell. Even though I had all this training and all these things, and I had all this knowledge and everything, what was missing was one thing. And so as I sat there and I closed my eyes, I just said these simple words, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. And what I really saw at that time was, I, it wasn't that I didn't believe, I didn't want to be obedient to him. I didn't want his kingdom coming into my kingdom. Because I was the king. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I didn't want people telling me. I was a rebellious kid. One of the things that I always hated was people telling me, you can't do this. Usually I would say, oh yeah, watch. And I would try to do it. So I knew that saying those words was going to have to be a whole shift in my life. And things were going to have to change. The way I was living, what I was doing, the drugs or the drinking and the cussing and the being nice to my wife and things like that, all of these things. And, and, and so I had to have this conversation with God, just him and me, even though I was at a funeral with probably a thousand people there. It was just God and me having a conversation. And that was the most significant prayer I ever prayed. But it was just God and me. Um, since, since that time, a verse has meant a lot to me. And it's Matthew 7, 22 and 23. And it says, On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many powerful deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. That word, I, there, there, are, there aren't a lot of things that I fear in life. There really aren't. Even though I'm an electrician, I work, I could die any day. And it would be really easy for God to do that. Just, you know, I touch something wrong and boop, there it goes. So, but I don't, I don't fear that. But I got to tell you, one of the things I fear so much is that I might give someone a false hope of salvation. That I might say to him or her, well, you just got to pray a little prayer. You just have to ask Jesus in your heart. You know, um, years ago, I was teaching the 5th and 6th graders, and I asked them, I said, I will give someone $10 if they can find where that is said in the Bible. And you know, they can't, because it's not. When the Bible talks about salvation, it's not just a, well, Lord, I'm going to take you as my Savior, because I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. But it's not that easy. And my fear is that sometimes we have been deceived because that's what those people were that I just read about. They have spent time in hell. These are people who have died, have spent time in hell. And they're coming before the judgment of God and they're like, wait a minute, something's got to be wrong. Lord, we did this in your name. Lord, we did that in your name. What's going on here? 
I thought I, was, I thought I was saved. And he's like, depart from me, you lawbreakers. And I think sometimes we can give people a false hope of what salvation is. Sometimes it happens just like I said. They accept Jesus as their savior, but not as their Lord. And so they have skipped a part, but it's the main part. Sometimes we look at our salvation and we base it upon good works and bad works. You know, Lord, you know, and that's, I think, what these people are doing. Look at, I did this, this, and this. And so I'm looking at the scale, God, and I'm pretty good. But who are you comparing that to? You're not comparing that to Christ. Because all of us are sinners. We can never outdo our sin because the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life so sometimes we do that um, I've heard stories of, of mothers who have told their kids well listen I, I, I led you in a prayer when you were three and four and so I know you're saved I know you're saved you don't have to worry about it and, and I, sometimes I see that as God convicting them sometimes and having people say no no you don't need to do that anymore as an elder of this church as someone who is shepherding people that scares me because the one thing I don't want to do is get up to heaven and see any one of you in that position thinking they didn't know the truth I didn't give them the truth and you talk about tears of sadness oh my gosh and, and as, as you are here, just understand that the elders, we pray for you. We, we, we have just deep desires for you to grow in Christ. But above all, to be saved and to know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, I wrote down some things that... Um, what are some of the evidences of your salvation... Because I think the Bible actually does give some. But it's not a decision that was made a long time ago. It's funny, the Bible never talks about that. It talks about current. And here are some of the things. Do you have a desire to know God? Philippians 3, 7 through 10 says this. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Do you have a desire to know Jesus Christ? Are there times when that is just there, that you want to spend time in his word, that you want to pray, that you want to you get closer than you are right now? Do you have that? If not, you might want to question. Lord, am I saved? There's nothing wrong with saying that. Going to him and having this conversation. God, I am struggling right now. I don't know. 
I need to know. And it might be saying, again, God, if I wasn't, today I am. I am giving you my life, everything in it. The second thing, have, do you have conviction in your life for sin? And 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Is there conviction for doing things that are wrong? Are you finding it's easier and easier to sin and there's no conviction at all? That might be something you want to question. I should be feeling bad for this, but I don't. Uh, another thing, is there, is there a change on the inside? First, or I'm sorry, have you, begun to, have you begun to see some of the fruit of the Spirit in you? Ephesians 1.15 says this, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. When God saves you and the Holy Spirit comes into you, that happens at salvation. There's no time lapse. We don't have to wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when he comes in you, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is going to be working in your life. Is there something that you see? Or maybe even others. There are, you know, in this, in this section, Paul is saying, we saw from your, your actions that there was love. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So is, do you see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, patience? There's a couple other ones. Is that, do you see those in your life? If not, please, have this conversation. Is there a change on the inside? 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have an obedience, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently one, love one another from the heart. You know, God has given us a lot of commandments. You know, we have the ten in the Old Testament. But one of the things we're commanded to do is love the brethren. Do you see a love for the brethren? Is there a care that is coming upon you more and more? So, I, I know this is a tough thing. But, again, I would rather say this now so you can question it. So that when you come before God, he doesn't say to you, depart from me. It's worth it to me. The second part of the verse says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, there are many places in the Bible that talk about God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says, for those people, because one of the things I've always struggled with is, what is the will of God for me? You know, um, as, as a Christian and as a dad and a husband and, and things like that, I, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. But so often, I didn't know how to do it. And so from early on, I always struggled with knowing what the will of God is. And there are some things in the Bible that, where he says what his will is. And, and here's a couple from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.3. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Kind of plain and simple. I don't have to ask, what is God's will? To be thankful. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 
For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Well, God is going to sanctify me. So I, I've un, come to learn to understand that sanctification has more to do with my body being afflicted so God can work in my life. And that's all part of his plan. Now, it's not just that. It's, it's struggles, it's trials, it's, it's pressure. But it's God working in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that's God's will for me, that I be sanctified. But what I really want to talk about, though, is God's will in your daily life. And how incredibly important it is to tap into that. And so about 15 or 20 years ago, I I started on this journey of wanting to know God's will. And I'm not exactly sure who started this or who I heard, but what what I found was that it wasn't really that I didn't know God's will. You know, as you're going through your daily thing, there are things that happen all the time. And something would happen and I would feel this feeling or this sense of I should do something. And I kind of just put it off. I guess I I gave it kind of Christian excuses. Well, maybe there was somebody that, you know, holding up a sign that needed money. And I was convicted to do that. But, well, I need to pray about that. Well, by the time you pray about it, you're past the guy and I don't have to worry about it. Um, There were times when people would ask me to teach or do something. And I'm like, well... I'm not, I, that's not my gift, you know. My, my gifts are in other areas, you know. And, and I, find my, I found myself making excuses all the time. And what I finally realized was, well, that was God's will for me. But I wasn't really doing it. And so what I, what I purposed to do was to, and, and, and I prayed this. I had one of these prayers again with just God and I because it's like, God, I want to know you. I want to know you better. And what he was saying to me was, yes, but as I'm trying to get to know you better, you're not being kind of obedient. And, and what I really found is I was turning away from God's will and he was kind of, well, this relationship wasn't going that well. So I purpose in my heart that, okay, God, I will try to do your will whenever I can. And so I I prayed a couple things. First, Lord, help me to be sensitive to you talking to me. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see. And so it kind of started off like this in little things. Somebody's name would come to mind and I would pray for them. Sometimes I didn't know what was going on in their life, but it's like, Lord, you brought this person up. Lord, I pray that they would, you would help them today, that you would be with them. Sometimes it was somebody whose name, and I knew they weren't feeling good. So I would just pray that God would bring healing to their lives. And what I found, and what I found is the more I listened and the more I was obedient, the easier it was to hear him. There was even times when somebody would come to my mind and at, at one time in my, my uh, work, I, I, I would drive for long periods of time. And so I would have a half hour, 45 minutes. And there was one time, and this was just, this was kind of just really cool how God did this. Somebody came to my mind and I just called them. And we started having a conversation. And somehow the conversation turned to what we were going to be speaking about in Sunday school. And all of a sudden, 
that person started weeping. And, and they said, and when I, I, I asked them, I said, is everything okay? And I said, and they said, you don't know what this meant to me. I was struggling with a lot of things. And seeing what you were going to be speaking about in Sunday school, just, it, it helped me so much. And what I, what I really saw in that moment is, when we see God's will and we're obedient to do it, God works in just tremendous ways. And so as I started doing that more and more, I, I saw not just a change in me, but a change that God was doing through me. And he was blessing people in a sense as I was being obedient. So again, so often it's, 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 being, it's being obedient at the time. Um, we had a situation, Tammy and I, we went, we went down to Kentucky for a wedding. And we were down there for Friday and Saturday to spend a little time because I didn't get much, much vacations at that time. And on Friday night, my cousin came to me. It was her daughter's wedding. And she said, hey, I just want to let you know that someone has paid for your rooms. I'm like, wow, that is so cool, God. You know, because that would have been probably about 400 bucks. That was a struggle for us. So the very next morning, Saturday morning, Tammy and I were walking around the city. And we, we were walking down a street and we turned a corner. And right when we turned a corner, I, I looked down and there was a, a lady with a, a stroller. And she was crying. But I just, it was, it happened so fast that I just kept walking. And Tammy and I were walking and walking and walking. And we got probably a half, half mile away. And I stopped and I said, Tam, I got to go back. She, and I said, that girl that we passed by, I said, God has been convicting me that I should have stopped. And I, I knew it right then, but I didn't do it. I waited. And God just kept hammering on me, hammering. And the cool thing about it was... Doug had just preached a message about when he was going down the street and he saw a couple and he, he was late. He had to come back here and get a, coo- or get a card and he couldn't find it and all this stuff. Well, that's what was on Tammy's mind. So we ended up turning around, walking back a half mile, finding the girl. And, and I just said, hey, listen, I want to give you some money and can I pray for you? And as I prayed, again, just the tears started coming out. And again, what I saw is that when we're obedient to God's will, God does stuff. And, and the critical part that I wasn't doing before is I was hearing God's will. And I think a lot of us do. But the key part is obedience to that will. What's the, you know, we used to sing the song, you know, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I understand that now. Because without obedience, it's like God can't work through you. And so, as I'm, I'm thinking about this passage, that's one of the things I wanted to say to you. First, make sure God is king of your life. And if you want your life to be changed in ways that are just unbelievable, start being obedient to his will as you see it. Don't make excuses. Um, one of the last things um, that has happened, a big thing, and, and it's interesting, I was thinking about, you know, um, the will of God. There are some times when you can't do things immediately. One of the things I found, though, 
is my first, people would say, well, how do you know that's the will of God? In my life, it's almost the first thought I get. That's the will of God. But what's interesting is the second and third thought are usually not. They're usually excuses. But there are some things where the will of God is big. Um, My wife and I, um, last four and a half years uh, has been a big change. I had my electrical business and it was going good and everything like that and we were making okay money and things like that but god kind of was doing some things in our life one of the things is i i hurt my hand and i lost probably 50 60 percent of the use in it and 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 then healthcare expenses got so high and and so we were really struggling with you know lord what do you want us to do what do you want us to do and my wife, especially her, she started looking for other job opportunities. And there's a job opportunity that came up in Southfield Public Schools. But there was a couple things. First off, the pay was about 35% less than what we were doing, what we were getting. And we were really struggling with, God, what do you want us to do in, in praying about this? But we really saw how God wanted us to do this. And one of the key things I found is so often God's will is so different than ours. Uh, Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my, nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. And man, as, as I've been doing this more and more, really focusing on God's will and doing it, he has, he has worked in so many cool ways. So I, we started the job at, at Southfield. I went in for an interview, and two hours later, I had the job. And it was like, wow. But since I've been working there, the cool part about it was I see God working, again, through me all the time. I mean, I have opportunities to talk to custodians all the way up to school board members. And it's, it's, it's talking about maybe marriage, maybe raising kids, maybe Christianity. Um, a lot of times it's encouraging Christians. It's encouraging teachers. And I, I tell you, teachers, they don't have it great anymore. And, and you see this loss of hope that they have there. And it's like God put me into this place where I never really dreamed I was going to be going. We put our kids through private school because we couldn't stand the thought of going through public school. And then what does God do? He puts me in a public school. And, and so the thing that is so critical, though, is understanding that God's ways are not my ways. And his wisdom is so much higher. And so I look at what I'm doing there now is I'm, I'm speaking to those who God puts in my way and part-time, I'm doing the electrical for the school district. That's just almost what it's come down to. And he has just opened up so many opportunities. And when, when God's will is your will, there are times when, I, I swear, I'm, I'm up here watching this conversation between me and somebody else. And I'm like, where did you come up with that? You know, he gives you just what you need to know at that time, which is so cool. Which is so cool. So, in closing, again, I just want to encourage you. Know where you are when it comes to God. That is so important. There are elders around here 
that would be just so glad to talk to you. There are godly ladies that would be glad to talk to you. Um, But again, it's primarily you sitting in these seats, having a conversation with God, and saying, God, I'll do what you want. And God's will, you will be so totally geeked when you start seeing God working through your life. It is the coolest ride you will ever be on. So let's bow. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this this time. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for us. And dear God, I thank you that you want to have a relationship with us so that we can be your sons and your daughters. God, you have done many, many great things, and I just thank you for it. So uh, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Guide us and direct us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.